You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Older threats are out and about, and an old vulnerability gets a fresh proof of concept. A new banking trojan threatens Europe. Intel works on vulnerabilities. CISA advises awareness of recently reported DDS vulnerabilities. Joe Kerrigan explains how spearfishers are using customer complaints as bait. Rick Howard speaks with Carlos Vega from Devo on supply chain issues. And an arrest is made in a Maryland case of revenge porn. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. A few older threats and vulnerabilities are resurfacing this week. Researchers have begun seeing signs that Emotet, a botnet widely used to distribute spam that carried other payloads, has resurfaced. The other payloads included Quackbot and Trickbot, which in turn were used to deliver initial access for ransomware infestations with Ryak, Conti, Prolock, Egregor, and other strains. Recall that Europol had effectively disrupted Emotet's infrastructure back in January and arranged for general uninstallation. That uninstallation was led by German authorities of the malware in April. Leaping Computer reports that TrickBot has recently been observed dropping an Imotet loader into infected devices. German security firm G-Data blogged that on Sunday it detected a DLL that appeared to be Imotet. It subsequently confirmed the identification. The record, which has been in touch with researchers at CryptoLamus who've been tracking the reappearance of Imotet, writes that the comeback appears to be in its early stages. Emotet isn't yet actively sending out spam, and it appears the operators may be trying to quietly reestablish their infrastructure. The Cryptolamus researchers said, It doesn't seem too large at this time, and we are not seeing active distribution yet. End quote. But the malware's reappearance will be worth keeping an eye on. The Mirai botnet, venerable by botnet standards, is also back. 
Cloudflare says that last week it blocked a DDoS attack from 15,000 IoT bots and unpatched GitLab instances running Mirai. The attack peaked at almost 2 terabytes per second. It was a brief attack, lasting just about a minute, but impressive in its volume, even if it fell short of setting a record. DDoS attacks appear to be regaining some popularity among criminal organizations who use them to disrupt businesses they're targeting for extortion. They can also serve as a form of noisy misdirection to cover other, more serious attacks, the bad guy's way of saying, look, there's nothing up my sleeve. There's also a fresh Rohammer proof of concept out and about. Researchers at the ComSec Computer Security Group published an account of a new approach to exploiting this familiar vulnerability. Quote, It is possible to trigger Rohammer bit flips on all DRAM devices today despite deployed mitigations on commodity off-the-shelf systems with little effort. This result has a significant impact on the system's security as DRAM devices in the wild cannot easily be fixed. End quote. Newer DRAM modules, DDR5 devices, are thought to be more resistant to exploitation than earlier and still widely used modules, but it's not clear that they're immune. There's no evidence that this exploit is being used in the wild, but there's also no clear mitigation readily available, and it would seem that Rohammer in general requires further work. There are also some new threats and vulnerabilities. An Android banking trojan researchers at Cleefy are calling SharkBot is affecting banking customers in Europe. According to the record, SharkBot appears to be in a relatively early stage of development, but it's enjoying some success by using automatic transfer systems to bypass protections normally provided by multi-factor authentication. As is the case with many other Android trojans, SharkBot covets access to the Android Accessibility Service, a perfectly legitimate feature that's intended to automate certain interactions in ways that make it easier for physically impaired users to work with their devices. The Trojan uses the features of accessibility service to mimic scream taps and perform malicious tasks, such as granting itself admin rights, showing fake login screens on the user's device, collecting keystrokes, intercepting and hiding two-factor SMS messages, and accessing mobile banking and cryptocurrency apps to transfer funds. For now, SharkBot's able to interact with 22 banks based in the UK and Italy, and with five cryptocurrency applications, but it's reasonable to expect the criminal operators to open their net wider. Intel has released firmware updates for a privilege escalation vulnerability in some processors' BIOS. Intel is also addressing, according to Ars Technica, an issue that could allow an attacker with physical access to backdoor some chips. Positive Technologies outlines the bug's implications. The issue comes down to a debugging function with excessive privileges. Positive Technologies' Mark Ermolov wrote in the company's blog, quote, One example of a real threat is lost or stolen laptops that contain confidential information in encrypted form. Using this vulnerability, an attacker can extract the encryption key and gain access to information within the laptop. The bug can also be exploited in targeted attacks across the supply chain. For example, an employee of an Intel processor-based device supplier could, in theory, extract the Intel CSME firmware key and deploy spyware that security software would not detect. 
This vulnerability is also dangerous because it facilitates the extraction of the root encryption key used in Intel PTT, that's Platform Trust Technology, and Intel EPID, Enhanced Privacy ID Technologies, in systems for protecting digital content from illegal copying. For example, a number of Amazon ebook models use Intel EPID-based protection for digital rights management. Using this vulnerability, an intruder might extract the root EPID key from a device, an ebook, and then, having compromised Intel EPID technology, download electronic materials from providers in file form, copy, and distribute them. End quote. Again, exploitation would require physical access to the targeted devices, but that access would need only be brief, a matter of minutes, not hours. CISA warns that vulnerabilities affecting distributed data service standards are being reported. The agency's advisory says, quote, CISA is aware of a public report detailing vulnerabilities found in multiple open-source and proprietary object management group data distribution service implementations. This advisory addresses a vulnerability that originates within and affects the implementation of the DDS standard. In addition, this advisory addresses other vulnerabilities found within the DDS implementation. CISA is issuing this advisory to provide early notice of the reported vulnerabilities and identify baseline mitigations for reducing risks to these and other cybersecurity attacks. End quote. There's no known exploitation of these vulnerabilities in the wild, but CISA recommends applying the patches and mitigations the affected vendors are making available. Those vendors include Eclipse, Eprosima, Gurum Networks, Object Computing, Real-Time Innovations, and Twin Oaks Computing. If you're a customer, check in with them for specifics. And finally, an arrest has been made in the seamy DIY world of revenge porn, in which alienated affection leads a disappointed once-and-future suitor to distribute, non-consensually, saucy photos of an inamorata online. In this case, a small-town mayor in Maryland, the Honorable Andrew Bradshaw, Republican of Cambridge, and we stress that's Cambridge, Maryland, and not Cambridge, Massachusetts, still less Cambridge, England, has been arrested and charged under Maryland law with some 50 counts of distributing revenge porn, the Dorchester Star reports, and that's Dorchester, Maryland, not Dorchester, Massachusetts, still less Dorchester, England. His honor, of course, enjoys the presumption of innocence until such time as he's convicted, should, of course, he be convicted of what he's allegedly done. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. 
visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The supply chain is in a lot of headlines these days, both in the real world and cyberspace. Our own Rick Howard checked in with Carlos Vega from Devo for his insights on the supply chain. A few weeks ago, I had the great pleasure to talk to a longtime friend of mine and an old Army buddy. My name is JC Vega. I've been in cybersecurity for over 20 years and in security for over 30 years. And I recently took over the CISO job at Devo, the cloud-based sim. And we got to talking about why we both thought that the way the network defender community currently defends cyber supply chains is broken. First of all, we got to expect the anomalies and we have to be prepared to respond when we do detect something. We we say that in, in cyber, the adversary is moving at machine speed and we have to be able to coordinate and react at machine speed. And there's some truth to that, but there's another aspect of it and that is developing those trust relationships in the environment itself. That means the dependencies that you have with your suppliers or even partners, you have to be able to engage them to either inform, persuade, or influence them to adjust their posture to meet your security requirements. You're saying that the way we fix this is we make our suppliers get better at security than, than we are? We don't make them get better independently of our system. We complement one another. And the idea is that if, if you look at you know, the different terms, defense in depth, collective defense, uh, zero trust, if you find weakness in one of your partners, you may have to invest in them to help them bring up their standard so that they can comply with your security requirements. And that's an investment. I'm not against that idea, but let me play devil's advocate here. SolarWinds, that's a significant company. What would you suppose you would help them do? They have competitors. And sometimes it's going to be the market that is going to drive the standard. Sometimes it's going to be regulation that drives a standard. And sometimes it's going to be uh, your risk acceptance. So it's not necessarily just saying I'm, I'm beholden to one product or one service. The idea is you have choices out there and you can choose to accept that risk or you can choose to do something else. That part I totally agree. You know, why would you allow anything from the solar winds administration box to touch anything else in your environment. To me, that's a, that's a zero trust strategy. 
not a technology. I'm not talking about a zero trust strategy. I'm talking about identity management or two-factor authentication. I'm not going to allow anything coming from the SolarWinds admin box to reach out and authorize, you know, tokens from my exchange environment in the cloud. That's a no-brainer. When we first got into this, you know, root was the, the God key. If you had root access to something, you can control everything. And the idea of looking at these systems, what type of permissions why would this system need root access to operate in your environment? And so you have to see what permissions do they have? Do they need that permission? Do they really need that permission? And if they do, then how do you mitigate that risk? How do you reduce your exposure to them? How do you keep them outside of your precious assets so that they cannot cause a material harm to your organization? And that goes back to your original idea. If you have some piece of software that demands that they have root privileges in your network, that's where you can leverage them and say, listen, I'm not going to buy you guys because you got an obvious problem with your security. I'll go, I'll go to your competitor. Find out how the system works. What are the intricacies that make that process or that tool provide the functions to your system? If you're tied to to that system and that tool, then I have to change and adapt my environment given the risk that I have with those tools or, or processes that I have there. I, I can't control everything, but I should control, maintain control of the things that I do have complete responsibility for. That was JC Vega, the CISO at Devo. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Joe, I don't know how to uh, say this, and I hate to air things publicly like this, but uh, I've got some bad news. Oh, no. We've had some complaints. Okay. Uh, Specifically, we've had complaints about uh, you And your appearances on our show, Hmm. Um, I have put them, I've gathered them together and I've, um, I've emailed them to you. You'll find a PDF file in your email. So I just need you to click through on that PDF file uh, to read some of these complaints. And I'll open that right away, Dave. (laughs) And of course, (laughs) I am just kidding, Joe. (laughs) Everyone loves you and you get lots of great reviews. Oh, do I good. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) But what what I have done is I've led us into this, I've cleverly led us into this story from the folks over at Naked Security by Sophos, written by the great Paul Ducklin. And this is about a scam that's taking advantage of people's emotions in kind of a unique way. What's going on here, Joe? So 
what Paul is talking about here is the kind of like what you just said. It's it's uh, an attack targeting more junior members of a support team or some customer facing team. Mm-hmm. They have a great formula in here that says guilt plus fear equals haste, mm. right? Which mm-hmm. is what they're trying to do. What these malicious actors are, are trying to get you to do is to click through the link without thinking about it. Okay. They're trying to make you feel guilty and to scare you to do that. And there is a great example that that Paul received here. That apparently people call him Duck. Mm-hmm. The email reads, Duck, call me back. And it says, Duck, I'm on my way into the office. Why didn't you tell me about this customer complaint in PDF on you? Call me back right now. And then it has a link to the report, to the mm. customer complaint report. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that Paul talks about in this is that uh, while this is technically a spear phishing attack because they have targeted him and other people in his organization directly, yeah, uh, it's very easy to automate this process with a spreadsheet of contact information hmm. and with a list of email addresses that has the contact information associated with it. Because frequently when you send out an email, it has your first and your last name. Right. One of the things that always sets me off is when it says Joseph in my, oh, <laughs> in right. my email. Because nobody addresses me as Joseph. They all address me as Joe. Right. Right. So whoever signed me up for the uh, PR newswire, <laughs> yeah. maybe you go into that database and change it to Joe and I can more quickly delete your emails. Anyway. <laughs> um, so Paul talks about how easy it is to put one of these things together. It's very minimal, the amount of, of open source intelligence gathering you have to do. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, talks about how initially the campaigns were not put together well. Hmm. Uh, like they went to uh, they went to a Google-branded web page that was hosted on Microsoft services. Hmm. Uh, and, it, of course, that doesn't jibe in people's minds, and maybe right. that sets people off. But they're hoping that, uh, that you're upset that you don't notice this. Uh-huh. Then, at one point in time, you are asked to download a file, and it says, didn't, you know, it's even got a picture here that says, preview of the report is ready to open. It didn't work. Try downloading again. And when you download it, it actually downloads an AppX bundle, which is a Microsoft bundle that is it's essentially an executable. You can mm. think of it as an installation program mm-hmm. that doesn't bother the user with architecture concerns. Okay. Okay. And what that means is when a user downloads a program, they have to know what their architecture is. Are, am I on 32-bit or am I on 64-bit? Am I on an x86 or am I on a, an ARM processor? Okay. Right? Well, those questions are not readily answerable by the vast majority of computer users. They have to go think about that. In fact, I, I don't even, I mean, I know what I have on mine, but on this Chromebook, I don't know what the architecture is. Right. right? Yeah. Um, I'd have to look it up. So the solution to that is they build these APX bundles that will run on just about any Windows platform that you have it. So it's got mm. the compiled code for everything, or maybe it can put the right machine instructions in there. Right. But, when you start running it, you get a uh, you get an an application that looks like it's uh, been trusted by Microsoft. It's been signed with a certificate, hmm. but the certificate is from an accounting firm in Southwest England. If you actually look at the information about it, hmm. but it still says it's Adobe on the install screen. Oh, okay. And one of the capabilities, or actually the only capability it wants, is all system resources. Oh, just that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what happens here when you install this is it immediately calls out to a an IP verification service, which which Paul notes that's really not necessary. 
Hmm. Because as soon as this machine connects to command and control servers, they'll they'll have the IP address, the public-facing IP address. Okay. But they're double-checking that. And then it gathers up what might seem like innocuous information. Uh, it, it gathers up all the, st- all the statistics about your machine, like what your architecture is, how much RAM you have, how much free hard drive space you have, hmm. and sends that to command and control. Uh, it, this is a bizarre backdoor install which is uh, okay. malware that is capable of downloading more malware. Mm-hmm. So you think of it as a, as a, uh, as a kit, right? So I, I've, if I'm a bad guy, I go out and I get a bunch of these machines infected with this bizarre backdoor, and now I have control over them. They're all reporting back to me on some regular basis. Now I have an army of bots ready to do whatever I want, mm-hmm. and all I have to do is either buy or write or develop or something the functionality I want yeah. and distribute it to these bots, and they'll do it. It could be anything. It could be crypto mining. It could be ransomware. It could be password cracking. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it could be whatever I want it to be. But the real clever part of this, you know, beside what's going on technically right. is the hook itself. The, the hook itself the is— The emotional part. Right. Um, we got away from that because uh, we're on the CyberWire podcast, not on Hacking Humans, but <laughs> uh, we, this is what the kind of stuff we talk about on Hacking Humans. They're looking to fire off your amygdala, right, to yeah. short-circuit your thinking— and to in, induce cognitive narrowing so that you don't think about the things that are setting off red flags about the situation. Mm-hmm. All you think about is your job security. They're, they're attacking you very low on Maslow's hierarchy of needs here. <laughs> right, right. You're in trouble at work. Right. Yeah. yeah. How am I going to feed my family if this happens? Yeah. So Sophos has some advice, uh, or I should say uh, Paul put some advice in here. It's uh, stop, think, connect. Is the, uh, you know, don't, don't act. Yeah. Don't act right away. Just just stop and think about it. One piece of advice he has for companies is really good. Always use official channels for communicating with your staff, but he says establish a policy of what that looks like. If you have people that are customer-facing, they're going to get customer complaints. It's going to happen. Right. So address that with these people as soon as on day one, as part of their part of their onboarding. When you get a customer complaint, here is what will happen. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. This is how this process works. Everybody who works in customer service gets customer complaints. Mm-hmm. Right? So don't be alarmed. Don't be worried about it. You know, if, if you have five or six of these a year, no big deal or whatever your, your risk tolerance is, you know. Yeah. And here's how the process works. That way, when they see this email come in, they're already equipped to know, okay, this might be, might be fraudulent. Yeah. Because this isn't what the process is that they told me it would be. Right. Other things he says is set up an easy to remember contact point for security reports. Have a have a like spam at whatever your address is or or security or whatever. If you're not letting exe files come through your firewall, don't let these other application bundles come through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a whole list of them that that are available. Get familiar with what they are, and don't be seduced by on on screen security promises like the verified signature. Paul theorizes that this accounting firms signing keys were probably stolen in another breach yeah and then used to sign this back door as a trusted application yeah yeah all right well it's an interesting story i say that that social engineering hook is pretty compelling right and uh our thanks uh, to the folks over at naked security by sophos and and paul ducklin for putting this out there it's a great find paul yeah joe kerrigan thanks for joining us my pleasure
that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karf, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.